You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for some scalding hot takes? Talking Vikings with Dane Misutani and Chase Frederick. This is Inside Purple and Gold. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Misutani, joined today by our good friend Paul Hodawanek. Uh, Paul's always a good one to have on the show. He's super insightful, does a lot of good work for Purple Insider, and is kind of a jack of all trades in, in, in the Twin Cities. Um, before we get into Paul, and then before we get into this episode of, of Inside Purple and Gold, uh, just wanted to touch on pretty, some pretty tragic news you know, coming out this morning. Uh, former Vikings defensive coordinator Adam Zimmer has passed away at the age of 38. Um, his sister, Corey Zimmer, posted that this morning, um, just kind of alerting people of of the passing. Obviously, the son of, of longtime Vikings coach Mike Zimmer. Um, just horrible, tragic news. Um, and, and there's really no way uh, to kind of talk about this and, and then segue into sports. Um, but just wanted to kind of offer our thoughts and prayers to the Zimmer family Um they did a lot of good for this franchise. Um, Adam Zimmer, we, we spoke to him regularly over the last couple of years and just a, just a great guy gone too soon. So wanted to make sure we touched on that. Um, and then, like I said, there's no way to kind of segue out of that. Um, but we'll try our best to kind of just touch on the Vikings and and, and kind of, you know, take a, a 30,000 foot view of the team. Um, but yeah, thoughts and prayers to the Zimmer family for sure. Um, all right, I guess we'll we'll get into the show. Paul, um, you, you were obviously watching the game this weekend. Um, just another, we would talk about it every week, but like another victory that could have gone the other way. Um, but you look at where the Vikings stand right now. They're they're number two in the NFC um, after after the Giants lost to the Seahawks this this past weekend. And correct me if I'm wrong, or uh, curious to hear what your take is on this, like the inside track at the number two seed, right? Because you look at the rest of the NFC, it's kind of watered down. And we've talked a lot about that. I think the Dallas Cowboys might be better than the Vikings, but they play in the same division as the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, where, where do you look at where the Vikings stand kind of in, in jockeying for position for that number two seed? Yeah. Whether or not you believe, you know, the, 
the Cowboys are better, the 49ers are better, mathematically, it just may become hard for either of those teams to push the Vikings off of that number two seed. The Vikings have a 96% chance to make the playoffs. They have a 94% chance to make the division and they're six and one. And so I think, you know, an, an average kind of simulation of the rest of the season puts them at 12 and five. You say they lose to the bills, they lose to the Cowboys. Maybe they don't go six and zero in the division. They lose one division game in there at some point. Cause it's hard to run the table with your division, no matter how bad it is. And then maybe you throw in one other kind of clunker game in there where everything goes wrong. They don't get bounces and it's just something weird happens. They lose to the Patriots or one of the New York teams or the Colts or something like that is definitely on the table with the way this team is playing and how, you know, they're kind of keeping it close with any opponent. So I think pretty realistically, you can say, okay, maybe they go six and four the rest of the way that still puts them at 12 and five. And it puts those other teams in a really hard spot to try to get past them because the 49ers are four and four. So are they going to win every game or even just lose one game the rest of the way? That's kind of what they would need to do. Similarly for the Seahawks, if they wanted to make that run in that division and you think that division, while not great, is better than the NFC North. They're probably going to cannibalize themselves a little bit more than the Vikings have a chance to with the teams in the NFC North. Um, and so when you put all those factors together, whether or not you truly believe the Vikings are the second best team with the way they're playing, it's just as they've racked up these wins, that's the luxury they have. They don't necessarily have to be the second best team the rest of the way in the NFC to get that two seed. They can more or less coast if they can take care of the teams they should beat. Uh, they can get to that 12 and 5 mark. And in my head, that doesn't feel like what a number two seed should be. But with the way, with how wide open it is, that's just the reality. So we might go into a scenario in the playoffs where they're the two seed. You may feel like they're the fourth best team, but they have that home field advantage. And then it just comes down to who's healthiest. But yeah, I think they definitely have the inside track at the two seed. No doubt. And, and you mentioned the word cannibalize each other. Like, that's what the NFC West is going to do. Like the Seahawks at five and three better than I think anyone could have ever imagined. It's, it's been cool to watch, Geno Smith kind of rise um, the classic. They wrote me off. I didn't write back. It's maybe the greatest quote of all time, um, but at five and three playing a, in, in the same division as a four and four 49ers team that is only getting better. And the Rams, I know they've been wildly unimpressive this year in their Super Bowl champion defense year but that three and four uh, you know any given week I think the Seahawks are probably worse than the Rams just at, when you look at that so that's the NFC West that that's going to kind of take care of itself I don't think any team like you said can get to 12 and 5 when they're having to play each other at least a few times the rest of the way I look at the NFC East the same way and, and you're right like the Giants at six and two I think they're going to fall off I think at some point we are talking about the Giants the way I think a lot of people are talking about the Vikings. Like this feels unsustainable, but the Giants play in the division with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. The Vikings play in a division with the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears, both three and five, but the Bears are blowing this thing to smithereens. And I, I would, ex we're recording this Tuesday morning. I would not be shocked if the Chicago Bears made more trades you know, down the chute before, before the trade deadline this afternoon. I want to ask something though, like because of that NFC East and, and the division itself and the Philadelphia Eagles at seven and zero, the Dallas Cowboys at six and two, 
like I said, for the purpose of this exercise, let's just say that the Giants are going to fall off. Like they're six and two, but they're going to lose to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys and a couple of teams along the way. Is there a world in which the Vikings can be the one seed? Because I look at their schedule, it's soft. I agree with your take about you do have to account for the fact that there's going to be some clunkers. The, the Vikings, the way they've won so far, is unsustainable in, in, in the amount of success that they've had in one score game. So you would assume that at some point it's going to go the other way. You, you're right that they're playing the Bills in two weeks, the Cowboys in three, and, and there probably is a division loss at some point. But I look at the schedule, and I know Philadelphia's schedule, I'm looking at it now, is also very, very soft. So that maybe that's the answer to this question. Maybe, no, they can't be the one seed because of that. But is there a world in which that Philadelphia stumbles once or twice in the division, the Vikings stay hot and, and win these games? As I ask this question, I look at the schedule, and holy crap, like, it's probably unlikely. But yeah. <laughs> what, do, what do you think, Paul? Because, yeah, you know... It, it seems like there is at least a pathway with the Vikings only being one game back at this point. It, there's a pathway if the Vikings can massively improve from where they have been, which again, feels weird to say at six and one, but by EPA standards, ex- expected points added per play, they're 12th on offense, 17th <clears throat> on defense. That's a, that's a middling average team. That's what the statistics you have. If you're at this point, four and three or three and four, or even five and two, that those aren't the underlying characteristics of a team that is normally six and one. And it's not the underlying characteristics of a team like the Eagles who are right up there and have elite units. And so, yeah, it may just come down to the schedule, but more than that, it's just the Vikings have consistently found ways to win. And at this point it's becoming less of an anomaly and just something that they have continued to show that they can do. They're generating turnovers in these big spots. They're coming up with big stops when they need to, the offense is doing just enough to get them where they need to be. And so I think over the course of a season, that can be sustained a bit, but I think it's still once or twice going to catch up to them. And at that point, even if the Vikings have like three losses, that means the Eagles have to lose at least what four games then because they own the tiebreaker over them. And let me just quickly run through the teams the Eagles are going to play. And you tell me where four (laughs) losses are because they're playing Houston, Washington, Indianapolis, Green Bay, Tennessee, New York, Chicago, Dallas, New Orleans, and New York. Like, realistically, the only team I see them, like, where they, it's kind of going to be a toss-up, is that Dallas game way later in the season. Otherwise, you're hoping for a Tennessee miracle where they just kind of continue to figure games out like they have been. You're hoping for a clunker against Green Bay as Green Bay has their backs up against the wall. You're hoping for like Washington to come in and like another division opponent to beat them. Like you're hoping for all these things and you need all those things to happen. Plus you need the Vikings to play phenomenal football the rest of the way. It just, that feels like too many things coming together. And so the one seed for me feels very much out of reach for the Vikings at this point. Yeah, no, the the, the thought exercise was fun for about 15 seconds until you look <laughs> at the schedule and realize yeah, there's not four losses on the schedule. It's, no, and it happened last year. The Eagles were like a bad team. They w- ran the table late in the season to get in the playoffs. And it's like, how are they continuing to play these bad teams 
once again, they do not have a hard schedule coming in and, and they'll be relatively, it feels like unproven heading into the playoffs, but all the one seed, everything will go through Philadelphia as the Vikings saw that is, that is going to be difficult. Um, but I, if the Vikings come out of this with a two seed, I don't think anyone will be complaining. Yeah. And, and I, I think when you look ahead at the Vikings schedule, and we'll do a little more of this, you know, later in the show, but they should beat Washington upcoming this, this Sunday. No, Washington's been kind of a plucky team as of late, but it all comes down to that bills game, right? Like seven and one versus seven and one. Like, I think the Vikings will learn a lot about themselves in that game. And then the the game to follow against the Cowboys. Um, if they're seven and one and just get absolutely crushed by the, the Buffalo bills and then get absolutely crushed by the Dallas Cowboys the, the next week, um, there'll be seven and three. I think people will be feeling a lot different about this team, but, but I think to your point about the number two seed, like that is still well within their reach, even if they drop both of those games upcoming um, just because the, the schedule sets up so favorably for them, the rest of the way in theory on paper. Again, if the Vikings don't improve, they can easily drop any game on any week over the next 10. So it's something that that will be interesting to follow. Obviously Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more just kind of about this team, big picture wise. Um, Obviously we've talked a lot about how they've had fortunate luck with, with injuries so far, and it's uh, finally starting to catch up with them. Welcome back to inside purple and gold. I'm Dane Mizutani joined today by our good friend, Paul Hodawanek. We talked about, you know, where the Vikings stand in, in the NFC and, I think we both kind of agree that like, yes, they, they, there is a pathway for them to be the two seed might have the inside track, but Paul, we are starting to see injuries finally catch up to this team. They were so, so fortunate for so, so long throughout this season. And when, when it comes to impact, I think there are worse players that could have gotten hurt for, for this team, but Ir- Irv Smith tight end out for, for the next few weeks. Um, it's like a high ankle sprain and Dalvin Tomlinson, he is week to week as well, uh, with a calf injury. Is that a big deal? Um, I asked that knowing you never want to be injured as a football team. You obviously want to be at full strength at all times, which the Vikings have been throughout this season to this point. But is it a huge deal that, that the Vikings will be without Irv Smith moving forward and it sounds like without Dalvin Smith, at least for a, for a couple of games here in the immediate future. I mean, it means something for sure. I think if you were going to pick, like no offense to those two positions, but if you were going to pick positions that the Vikings could sustain injuries on, other than maybe running back where you feel like you have a stable of guys there, like tight end Irv has been kind of a, a nice piece for Cousins to use on third down, but he really hasn't been a feature point of the offense and other than kind of the the big drop pass by Johnny Munt on that third down where he was wide open and he dropped a pass. Like Munt has been serviceable enough in that role to where I think you feel okay about kind of formulating, kind of manufacturing Irv Smith's value with a Johnny Munt and maybe bringing in CJ Ham a little bit more when you need to block and he can be a receiving option too. Like I think you can manufacture a little bit of what Irv does. And then on the defensive side with Dalvin Tomlinson, again, not a player you would like to lose obviously they that was like a, a big kind of spend for them to get in at one point um but again an interior defensive lineman where you have a couple guys that have at least played that are behind him i think again that's an area where you're 
okay to have lost that guy. So I think it matters in the sense that the Vikings have kind of straddled a, a fine line despite being the healthiest team in the NFL, according to PFF's war metric, wins above replacement metric. They measure each week like how much wins above replacement you've lost due to injury heading into that week last week, heading into this game after the bye, the Vikings had lost the lowest value of wins above replacement. So just think like the lowest value is sitting on your bench. Um, Like every other team is dealing with more than the Vikings are dealing with. Now that'll spike a little bit without Irv, without Dalvin, but coming into this week, that's where they were. And they were always kind of one, two, three, even when Harrison Smith was out or Andrew Booth was out or someone like that, they were always still, way, way low on that metric. And so now that brings them probably still pretty low on that metric. Um, but what really will be the test is if they lose a wide receiver or they lose a cornerback, one of these positions that both are more important positional value wise, but also just thinner. Uh, because if you lose even like, let's not even go to the scenario where you lose Justin Jefferson, cause then your whole offense falls apart. But even if you lose a KJ Osborne or an Adam Thielen, you're moving down the depth chart to guys that really aren't threats whatsoever. Um, and it probably is why, again, people might already hear about a move here after, but it's why you'd push for a move to wide receiver or push for a move to cornerback in a trade. Because again, you lose Pat Pete or you lose Cameron Dantzler, that seemingly already kind of taped together secondary is injecting Chris Boyd or an injured, like in injury prone Andrew Booth or a just like not exactly the guys uh, you want to be putting in there. And so I think they can handle these and with Washington coming up, I think they can beat the Washington without those players. Uh, but the test will be, you're inevitably going to lose someone of a bigger, like of more importance than one of these guys, one of the edge rushers or Eric Kendricks, or just one of these guys are bound to miss a game or two. That's just how football works. And so when those things start to happen, that'll be when I'm really interested because right now uh, these injuries obviously don't help. But if you were going to pick a spot to lose guys, I think these are ones where they can sustain. It's just, can they sustain if someone else goes down? Yeah. And I I think it is a good reminder that like the Vikings were not going to be the healthiest team of all time throughout this whole season. Yes. They've gotten extremely lucky to this point. There is probably something to be said about the sport science side of it. Um, Don't want to, don't want to downplay that too much, but I think a lot of this comes down to just luck and sometimes injuries happen. Sometimes they don't, they are starting to happen. And I think if you're the Vikings, you have to kind of enter again, we're recording this on Tuesday morning, but you have to enter this deadline, assuming that something else could happen down the road, because you're not just going to stay healthy the the, the rest of the season. Um, it would be a little bit irrational to, to believe that I think a little bit irresponsible to believe that as, as a front office with the Vikings playing, I would, I'll say as well as they have to this point, but I guess in, in, in the record wise, like with where they stand at six and one, um, you have to kind of plan for contingencies um, beyond kind of your starters and in your, your first immediate backups. I think it's a good point about the positions that you're losing though, like tight end, like, yes, like that, that plays a, a decent role in, in, in this offense. But I think there are, avenues like you said with Johnny Munt and he's been serviceable and, and and maybe you work to get the ball to KJ Osborne now a little bit more and I know it was a different offense but when Irv Smith missed last year that you saw KJ Osborne really kind of step up and become that that third pass catcher um, so I think while you never want to lose a guy like Irv Smith because 
he has been dynamic at times this year. Um, it, it's something that you can kind of stomach with, with, with playmakers across the board. Same goes with Dalvin Tomlinson. Um, and I guess that kind of leads into our next guy, like Zary Smith, like when he went down on Sunday, I think that is a, that, that was an injury that you're looking at. Like this could tank a lot of things because he has been absurdly good this year. Um, someone who I, I really didn't think was, had this in him. And you look at a guy like Daniel Hunter, like, I thought that was how Zadarius Smith was going to look this year. Daniel Hunter looks like a shell of himself, still impactful at times, but like not the same player that we grew to know over the course of his first four or five seasons in the NFL. Not not the case for Zadarius Smith. He looks just as dominant as he ever has. I think he's tied for a first in, in the league at eight and a half sacks. Um, just dominated the game on Sunday against the Cardinals. That that's that's the type of injury that that could really hurt, um, you know, that injury uh, of a player of that stature. But what have you made of Zadarius Smith's game to this point? Aside from the fact that he's just been wholly dominant, um, has he surprised you with with, I guess, his durability, his ability to kind of battle through? But I guess more so with his production at this point in in his career, coming off a, a serious back injury last year. Yeah, the back's not anything to mess with when we talk about injuries, especially one at a position where you're bending, you're twisting, you're doing a lot of things that involve that back. If it's even just a little bit stiff, that that takes away from your effectiveness. And it's a scary injury that you feel like might linger. So for him to be fourth in the NFL in pressures, according to PFF, only behind Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, and Matthew Judon, like that's some company to keep right below you is Nick Bosa, Brian Burns, Rashawn Gary. Like, that is upper, upper echelon, right? He's right in there and at least tied for sacks. PFF has um, Matthew Junon at nine, Zadarius at eight. So however, somehow those get can't called a little bit weirder, but still right up in the top with sacks as well. He's consistently getting to the passer. He's sacking the passer almost better than anyone else. And so did I think we were getting top five defensive end in the league, Zadarius Smith? No, I... I didn't think that was what was coming to the Vikings. And I don't think that's what the league thought was coming to the Vikings. Cause if they did, he'd be getting a bigger contract. The Ravens would have figured out how to keep him on the team, whether that was a weird failed physical or something Zedarius pulled out of But either way, the Ravens just made a big trade for Roquan Smith. Like they're adding players to their defense. Cause they want that defense to get better. They would love a Zedarius Smith on their team right now. And the way the contract was structured, clearly the NFL was worried about him getting injured with the way that it really felt more like a one, two year deal than like the longer three year deal that they gave him. Mm -hmm. And so again, we're only eight games into the season. He could get hurt next week. And if you said he only played eight games for a season, like then that probably kind of looks what people have expected. So he's been healthy thus far. I've been relatively surprised. It's a pleasant surprise that he hasn't gone through anything. And same with Daniil, even though he hasn't played super well, he hasn't been hurt either. Um, and you'd rather have him out on the field than DJ Wanham or one of the other guys, even in his kind of reduced form, because you think he can get back to where he was, or at least improve a little bit on where he's been. So yeah, I, I definitely didn't expect top five productions at area Smith. And I didn't expect coming into the season, he would play every game. I thought maybe even there'd be a rest game or two in there just based on how he looked, but he looks like primes at area Smith. And it's one of the big reasons why, this bend don't break defense has at least held up in some respects, at least in points 
allowed. They're continuing to be about an average team despite giving up one of the most the most one of the most yards uh, per game of any defense. Sedarius is a big part of that, and so I have been shocked. I'm continuing to be cautiously optimistic about his health moving forward, but with an injury like that. I don't feel like we can fully move on and say he's fully healthy. We don't feel like, or at least not fully, like not going to be an injury risk moving forward. I think with his age combined with that injury, it always has to be a tentative, cautious approach you take. And so every time he goes down, it's going to be kind of holding your breath for a second. Um, But he's gotten up from every one of those at this point. And so uh, the Vikings just have to ride it as long as they can and hope it continues for a full season. Yeah, and backs like you said, like are are such a an iffy part of the body that that to be plagued by, right? Like it it can pop up seemingly out of nowhere, and if it does, it can linger for obviously the duration of a season. It's why Zadarius Smith only played one game last year. So I I think it's when you look at a guy like that and you look at the, the way the defensive has played, like you alluded to, like he has covered up for certain warts that this team has had. And and the defense still has many warts that we, that we talk a lot about, but he is a guy who can kind of bandaid issues uh, on, on a very micro level. Like you, you saw the game, you know, this past Sunday as, as a perfect example of that, like Kyler Murray was still torching the Vikings at times. <clears throat> Arizona couldn't stay out of their own way, but when the Vikings needed a play late in the game. It was Darius Smith who came through and got the sack. So I think that kind of like hinges back to, to the, the trade deadline argument. And Paul, I, I talked to you before the show. I don't want to get too much into this because it can all change. Like we, this, this podcast could go, we're recording right now at nine o'clock on, on a Tuesday morning. It could go live at 10 30 on Tuesday morning and the Vikings could make a huge trade at noon. So we won't talk about like who, we think would be a good fit. Um, but I am curious, what do you think? Like, because we talked about receiver, how the contingency plan might be worth it there. Corner, a contingency plan might be worth it there. I look at pass rush too, though, because I know Patrick Jones has been pretty good in this rotational role. But if Sedarius Smith goes down and you only have Daniel Hunter, who looks like 70% of his old self, maybe 60% of his old self, and then you thrust a guy like Patrick Jones into that that role to to kind of play opposite. I think there's going to be problems there. So, like between those three positions, like what would you prioritize as a GM? And and we we I ask that knowing this could all change in in, in an hour or two. Yeah, my first spot I would go is wide receiver. Frankly, uh, just more often than not, especially in the playoffs, good offense is going to beat good defense. Uh, you see it with the chiefs last year. You see it with the bills last year. If you have a dominant offense, it really doesn't matter how good the defense is going to be. They're going to find holes for it. And so for me, I look and see the production that they've gotten outside of Justin Jefferson has been lacking and underwhelming to say the least. I think Adam Thielen, while continuing to be a strong red zone target for Kirk cousins, just isn't generating the separation and doesn't have the speed that he once did. That doesn't mean he still can't be a valuable piece, but he feels more like on a really good team, he's your third option. And so if they can go and add a wide receiver, both that helps them this year and also can help them down the line, that's my number one focus because year to year offense is more stable than defense. If you can get kind of a piece, you feel good 
now and long-term, at least for the next couple of years to add to that wide receiver room. I think that's the spot you have to go. Um, but I certainly think cornerback and edge are right there next to him. And it's no coincidence. Those, when you look from a draft perspective, when we talk about the draft and you talk about positional value, those are other than quarterback, kind of the three most important positions that people are looking for. It's a skilled wide receiver. It's an edge that can get off and rush the passer. And it's a cornerback that can shut some things down. And so it's still where the Vikings need players. And it's why it was kind of questionable or has been questionable in the past when they draft a safety in the first round and they don't go and try to get one of those really big premium position players. But I think it's smart at this point for the Vikings to push it all in. I have been consistently a, a kind of a proponent of maybe you should rebuild this thing. Cause what kind of peak can this team achieve? And I don't think I ever envisioned like the NFC to look as down as it did or as it has been this year. And so it's, if not this year, when are you going to do it? When the Eagles are really the only path in your way. And if they get injured, like something happens, you're then right there in Super Bowl contention. Like these opportunities don't come up that often. They sure as hell don't happen when all these other teams seem to fall off. Like this is an anomaly of a year and better Vikings teams may not have gone six and one through this stretch. And so they have done that. They have the weak NFC. So regardless of what position it is, I feel like this is why you kind of stay in the mix. This is why you do this competitive rebuild, because if it goes this way and things are happening in the NFC like this, you have enough kind of flexibility capability to push the chips in the table. And there's always going to be now every year after this, after the Rams win, there's always going to win the Super Bowl and do it kind of pushing all the chips in. There's always going to be two or three teams that are pushing everything in. The Eagles are pushing everything in. They got uh, in the off season, they go get AJ Brown. They just got Robert Quinn. Like they are pushing their chips in the table and saying, this is when we're going for it. The bills have done similarly. The dolphins are trying to do it. The Ravens are trading a bunch of pieces. Like if you don't make moves, other teams are going to pass you with how aggressive they're being. And so because this year is one that they can take advantage of, it feels like if they don't make a move, they're not staying stagnant. They're actually falling back because other teams are going to make moves. The 49ers go out and get Christian McCaffrey. Like by standing pat, you're not standing pat. You're falling back. And so they, if they really believe they can go and chase a Super Bowl this year, which at six and one, you kind of have to, they need to be one of these teams looking to push forward and make a trade, sign OBJ, do something um, to really try to affect the math of this thing and really try to switch some things in their favor heading into this home stretch. No, I think that's a tremendous point. And I, I want to dig more into that when uh, when we come back. Um, we'll break real quick and then kind of dig into the the idea of like the NFL is a poker game. Is it good to push all in? More on that uh, when we come back. Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani, joined today by our good friend Paul Hodawanik. Uh, give us a follow. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. I think we're recently added to Google Podcasts. Um, if you like what you hear, give us a follow. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Um, join us for this ride. Um, I don't think any of us thought we'd be talking about a 6-1 and one football team at this point, but we are. Um, and I think it, it, it's obviously something that's that's generated a lot of intrigue. Paul, before we broke, you were you were talking about the idea of, of pushing all in. And I guess I'll take a term out of Quasi Adopa Mensa's, you know, 
book and I'll say going full Rams, right? He, he said in, in the USA Today article <clears throat> at, the, at the beginning of training camp in July, he was quoted saying, you never want to go full Rams. You want to give yourself as many kicks as the can at it. You don't want to push everything forward for one year. You want to give yourself three chances, four chances, five chances with the hopes of winning one or two. And I understand that. Like, I understand the idea behind that, the idea that the NFL, the league itself is so fickle that wins and losses are decided by minuscule plays over the course of a 60 minute game. You look at the the, the Cincinnati Bengals, I think are a good example. Like last year when the Bengals were in the playoffs and they were struggling to beat the Oakland Raiders in the wild card weekend, I don't think anyone thought that team could make a run to the Super Bowl, but they did because the NFL, and I think even more so than, than in, in years past, is, is starting to become more of a parody league. The, the wins and losses are separated by so little. So I, I understand what Quasi is saying when he says you don't want to push all in with the idea that we could have the best team and the best team doesn't always win. I get giving yourself as many kicks at the can as possible. But to your point, right before we broke, I thought it was a great, great point. If you're not going to push, at least you don't have to look, don't trade 15 first round picks for an aging wide receiver. Like don't trade 10 first round picks. Like no one's asking Quasi to to do that, but you have to push a little, you got to raise the stakes because you're at six and one. And, and like you said, like we've talked about on this, this podcast, like everyone on every podcast every talking head show that exists has talked about throughout the course of this year the league is down the league is flat and if you're the vikings and you're six and one it's it's certainly worthwhile to 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 take a swing it doesn't have to be something that depletes your draft picks for years to come Um, but i think the team kind of owes it you know the, the, the front office owes it to the players to kind of take a swing here and and i guess like to themselves, because how often are you going to be six and one with with a chance to kind of make some real noise in in, in the playoffs? Where, where do you stand in that idea of like the contrast of like yes, building for the future, but also staying and competing and contending in the present? Building the like sustainable contender, I think, is the pinnacle of what every NFL general manager wants to do. If Quasi was saying we don't want to be a sustainable winner, then I would question like his media strategy. Like I get that that's what you in an ideal world, you want to build a team that every year can be a contender that's there and like pushing for a Super Bowl. And in reality, those teams, like they don't, they don't exist outside of if you have Patrick Mahomes or if you have Josh Allen, like that is the only thing that can sustain you through years and years of changing coaches, changing players, changing everything. Like everything around you is going to shift in the NFL. That's just the way the contracts are set up, the salary cap set up. Like it's, it's, you can't sustain the same group, the same run for years on years. The only way you do that is with a game changing hall of fame level quarterback. Kirk cousins. Isn't that even to the, the most like ardent Kirk Cousins supporters, he is not that. And so you have to take an approach of when you're in one of these seasons with a quarterback of Kirk's level, you have to go for it. You have to push for it. It's like 
Baltimore with Joe Flacco, or it's the Rams even with a Matt Stafford if you want to go there, or it's it's like that when you see some team kind of rise up and have one of these years and then don't sustain it. It's when they have a quarterback of Kirk's ilk. It's not like building a sustainable team is going to be very, very difficult when you don't have one of those life altering quarterbacks. And so I get that you want to be a team that can do this for year, year over year over year. It's just not the reality of it. And frankly, other teams with the Patrick Mahomes is with the Josh Allens. They're going to be able to beat you if you're not going all in and pushing. That's how you beat one of those teams is you have everything else. You've overwhelmed them with all of these other pieces that you've gone and added. So I think the sustainable, the sustainable winner is just, it's, it's not really a reality in the NFL and it's not going to be part of the Vikings reality as the team is currently constructed. And so when you get in a position like this, where they're a shoe in to make the playoffs and they have a chance with a weekend Buccaneers team, with a weekend Packers team, with an Eagles team, despite their dominance is still led by a Jalen Hurts team that really looked bad in the playoffs when they had their opportunity. Like those are the factors. Those are the blinking green lights of go for it, go for it, go for it. And so I think you got to do it. And yeah, if you trade a second round pick, a third round pick, like obviously you want those date, two picks. Like I'm a massive draft guy. I would rather have, they have those picks than not, but at some point those guys got to turn into players and you need them and you hope to have players for a run that you can make like this. And so just go out and get those players, get ready, do it now and worry about the future later. You don't have to trade every, the whole farm system. And I don't think you're going to need to for anyone that's out there, uh, but just go find solid value and try this thing because Odds are, if you run this same team back for another year, they're three and three or three and four at this point or four and three, and you're just hoping to get in the playoffs. You aren't looking to push further than that. And so I see no reason. I think it would be malpractice if they don't try to do something. Yeah. And you look at the league as a whole and yes, I think the sustainable model is, is something everyone's chasing. I think if you took, a poll of a million Vikings fans. And you said, they're not going to do anything this year, but they're going to win three Super Bowls in the future because they didn't do anything this year. Like everyone would be like, yeah, that, that's a great idea. We'll take that. Well, but it doesn't exist. There's been one dynasty in, in, in the past two decades. And it, it's been Tom Brady. Like it hasn't even really been like, yes, the new England Patriots and Bill Belichick get credit for that. But just look at who's won the Super Bowl. And then I want to kind of circle back to who won the Super Bowl when it was in Minneapolis. But in the past four years, the, the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl. They beat the, the Rams. The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. They beat the Niners. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. They beat the, the Chiefs. And the Los Angeles Rams won, obviously, last year. They beat the Bengals. Last year's is more like this year in, in, in what I think. And like if you're trying to model something, if you're Quasi, if you're the Vikings, it's what the Rams did. It's taking Matt Stafford. It's who is, you know, we can liken to Kirk cousins for, for the general sense of this, this argument. And you're trying to kind of, you know, copy that you can't copy what, what new England did with Tom Brady. You can't, you can't copy what, what the chiefs have done with Patrick Mahomes and look at Tampa struggling. And then Tom Brady comes in the first year, wins a super bowl. Like what you're saying, your point about sustainable success in the league, it, you're right. It comes down to quarterback play. 
if you have a elite quarterback, you will have sustained success. It, it, like that is the model. If it's two di- two circles, it, if it's a Venn diagram, it's two circles on top of each other. Sustained success in, in elite quarterback play. But if you look at like the Eagles, and obviously they're seven and zero. They won the Super Bowl when it was here in, in, in Minneapolis. Obviously, everyone remembers that. The 2017 NFC Championship game it didn't go the way everyone was hoping. They won the Super Bowl. They were 13 and 3 that year. After that, they fell off a cliff. You know, it was 9 and 7, 9 and 7, horrible 4 and 11, 9 and 8. And now they're 7 and 0 again. It, it, it shows how things can kind of change and how the league can ebb and flow when you don't have that elite quarterback. So, to that point, like if you're the Vikings, you don't have an elite quarterback. So you should try and do everything you can to win when when you're in a position to do so because you're not going to have an elite quarterback for the foreseeable future. The way Kirk Cousins is playing right now, the Vikings are six and one. He's probably going to get another year on his contract at the end of the, the at this offseason. It's just how the NFL works. Like the Vikings are going to need money this offseason. They're going to restructure Kirk's contract and they're going to kick the can down the road a little bit, like one more year. So you're not going to have this sustainable model of success with, with when we talk about quarterback play, just because you're going to have Kirk Cousins on the roster. Obviously, this year has proven that you can do a lot worse than Kirk Cousins. So this is certainly not a knock on him. Uh, but but I think that's a that's a great point, Paul. Like sustainable success is a myth almost because all of it hinges on quarterback play. What isn't a myth is six and one, a chance to kind of make a push in in the NFC. I think you do that with a trade today. Um, I say this all, like I said, I've mentioned it a couple of times. We're starting it Tuesday morning. It's going to drop Tuesday afternoon. The Vikings could do absolutely nothing, sit on their hands. And then this whole segment has been moot. But I don't think the it's concept they, remains. They don't do anything. I think this stands because I think they should have done You're something. Right. They haven't. The concept if they remains. Anything, if they do something, then this what we just talked about is important because that's kind of the mindset that they then feel like they have. So I think you know we weren't like, well, they need to trade a second for Brandon Cooks. So we're not doing that. But I think the I think the large point remains, and they can still make some moves along the margins, even if they don't make a trade. There's still like that OBJ possibility floating out there. There's still different free agents they can try to lure and things like that. So it's not as great in the trade avenue as the best potential spot. Uh, but I think the conversation remains whether they make a deal or not. Yeah, no, that it is like the concept as a whole, it, it, it remains, it exists. Um, and I, I, you know, we'll obviously be interested to see how, how Tuesday plays out, how the rest of, you know, the week plays out because if the Vikings don't make a trade, someone will make a trade. And like you said in your first point, like they will, by standing pat, they will fall behind. So it'll be interesting to see what they do here coming down the chute. That's all we have today on on this episode of, of Inside Purple and Gold. Make sure you're giving us a follow. Like I said, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts. We'd love if you, you, you join us for this ride. Paul, thanks for stopping by today. We really appreciate your time. Uh, for Paul Hodawanik, I'm Dane Mizutani. We're signing off. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.